ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਨਾ ਬਿਫੋਰ ਵੀ ਸਟਾਰਟ ਲੈਟਸ ਜਸਟ ਕਲੀਅਰ ਅਪ ਲੈਟਸ ਕਲੈਰੀਫਾਈ ਵਨ ਥਿੰਗ ਡਾਊਨ ਹੀਰ there is a prominent book which is being republished over and over again in the sikh literature market and that is katak ke visakh by pai karam singh historian now pai karam singh historian spent upwards of a decade in trying to establish when guru nanak was born pai karam singh historian traveled punjab and beyond punjab and he established that pa baba nanak was born in april on vesak in the month of vesak when vesakhi falls and the refutation he received was in the form of another book which was called vesak nahi katak this book vesak nahi katak was full of personal allegations and attacks against pai karam singh ergo the fact it isn't available as much and people haven't read it as much basically it was written in defense of the pai bala janam sakhi now the pai bala janam sakhi surfaced around the later missile early maharaja ranjit singh era it claimed it was written by a scribe who was in the presence of guru angad and who had pai bala sitting next to them now pai bala it was alleged was a companion of guru nanak a lifelong companion several problems here pai gurdas doesn't mention pai bala nor do any other sikh intellectuals mention pai bala as being a companion of guru nanak he's just a figment of somebody's imagination second fact sakhi claimed antiquity but it's uh, linguistics its entire style was uh, based on what was you know prevalent around the missile era and the ranjit singh era and the third thing was that the sakhi uh, attributed guru amar das's shabads in the nand sahib to baba nanak which as we know what is not possible basically based on this and other things pai karam singh historian established that guru nanak was born in april sgpc uh, accepted april listeners can ask their elders for a long time it was accepted guru nanak was born in april the sikhs who came over from pakistan in 47 they celebrated guru nanak's birthday in april however in the 90s we know in the late 90s there was a particular uh, crisis around uh, pal singh purewal's nanak shahi calendar and from then on it was decided that baba nanak's birthday would be celebrated in october which is not exactly historically right so for the sake of this podcast we will accept the april date as being genuine what do you have any problem with it uh personally no socially yes <laughs> well uh say it now or hold your peace <laughs> for now no problems at all okay yep so this a uh, birthday episode and uh, you know what karam singh historian wrote and the purewal nanak shahi calendar issue that will be discussed in another episode in the near future so let's move on now you know creation of the khalsa significant event and it sort of makes sense that on the day guru nanak was born guru gobind singh would elect that day select that day to ratify guru nanak's mission by giving it a physical form which was the khalsa so it was a it was a whole circular event come full circle again started by guru nanak's birth came to end by guru nanak's birth the 
Sikhs were ratified as the Khalsa on the day Guru Nanak was born. Now, here's the thing. We miscredit Guru Gobind Singh with having founded the Khalsa. Guru Gobind Singh never founded the Khalsa. It was actually Guru Nanak who was and who is the father of the Khalsa. Always has been. Always has been. Now, from Gurbani, not the way it's read by traditionalists, from Gurbani, from an impartial reading of Gurbani, we understand that Guru Nanak had a vision and that vision was of a fraternity of men and women dedicated to bettering themselves and then creation who would stand for no injustice, no demerit, would always be perfecting themselves and fighting against injustice. That was Guru Nanak's vision. That's why he provided that path of perfectness through Gurbani. And that very fraternity was realized by Guru Gobind Singh. Yep, I would agree with that, yeah. Now, these Dasapat Shaya we have, Baba Nanak entrusted the, he established the ideological foundations of the Khalsa, entrusted their expansion to Guru Angad, who entrusted it further to Guru Amardas, who entrusted it further to Guru Ramdas, who entrusted it further to Guru Arjun, and then Guru Arjun, they've, uh, Guru Arjun died protecting those foundations, came to Guru Hargobind, who started physically giving them a form in the form of the Akal Takht, you know, laid the precedent for the Sikh Republic, came to Guru Harai, who again defended ideology, Guru Harkrishan, comes to Guru Tegh Now, one thing I've actually been thinking about is when the pundits came to Guru Tegh Bahadur, it wouldn't have been a case of the Guru saying, look, I'm going to defend you guys. More or less, the Guru had already been arrested once before by Aurangzeb. And at that time, he had been released. So what Aurangzeb had done was he had arrested the Guru when he was hunting. And Aurangzeb had spread the rumor that I'm going to execute Guru Tegh Bahadur. Now, <clears throat> the Rajputs in the Delhi court, Jay Singh and uh, Ram Singh, they were in the habit of receiving bribes from Sikhs. They pretty much told the Guru that, look, he's just, you know, falsifying all this to instigate your Sikhs to attack Delhi. So he has a reason to kill you and the Sikhs. And Guru Tegh told the Sikhs, look, hold off, remain cool. Nothing's going to happen to me. And after a few months, he was released anyway. So that was the first time. And Guru Tegh knew now that within you know, the construction of Anandapur and what had happened down, you know, in modern day Bangladesh, Aurangzeb wasn't in a forgiving mood anyway. So Guru Tegh decided to sacrifice himself for the freedom of conscience. Now remember, Hinduism has the caste system. Islam also has the kafir, non-kafir uh, binary going on. He sacrificed himself for the freedom of impartial human conscience to the, for the right of humans to remain out of religious dogma without religious imposition on them. Doing so, he achieved another goal. He fooled Aurangzeb that with him dead, there was no need to attack Anandapur. And this allowed Guru Gobind Singh to take, off for, uh, take up from where his uh, father and uh, predecessor had left off and work towards realizing the Khalsa, which was the main mission of the Dasapat Shayu. Correct. Right. Now, we can go into a massive uh, you know, discussion about you know, how Khalsa matches with Gurbani, uh, with Guru Nanak's aim and ambition. Let's just uh, discuss a few points down here, and then we can move on further, because these uh, talks become pretty voluminous if we you know, go for a long time. <clears throat> Anyhow, first thing, 
the Khalsa actually confirms to the Sikh worldview. The Khalsa confirms, you know, to the Sikh, uh, you know, uh, perception of some things. The Khalsa believes the world is real, just as the Gurus did. The Khalsa does not believe in a mukti through meditation, not through individual mukti at all. Mukti is something which you, you know, uh, achieve from the, you know, Kam Krod, Lobo, Ankar. It believes in social involvement. It has a unitary view of life. It uh, disparages the caste system and dismantles it. it. Has a social orientation, committed to social service, and uh, there is a sense of individuality in there. Has a revolutionary orientation, and of course, as Baba Nanak says in Gurbani, now this is the biggest sticking point people have that you know the Khalsa uses force. Baba Nanak never used force. Baba Nanak justified the use of force from the onset of his mission in uh, Japji Sahib. Jorna Mangan, then Jor, Jorna Jeevan Marana Jor. Basically, creation runs on force. Vaheguru uses force for meritorious purposes. The Khalsa should also use force for just purposes. So Guru Nanak justified the use of force. And I guess the Baba Nanak we have today of the Pujari is not the real Baba Nanak. Something in me says that Baba Nanak would have actually taken up arms to defend Sadhapur when it was looted by Barbara as well. I'm very sure he did. Yes, and we know Baba Nanak clashed with the state. Now, of course, you have the Buddha like Baba Nanak sitting down there looking like, you know, Professor Dumbledore with his hand up. Yeah, sure, you can keep believing in that Baba Nanak, or if you read Baba Nanak's words in Gurbani, I'm telling you that image will be destroyed in your mind. And you will realize that this is the man who made that ideology, who came up with that ideology, which finally produced gurus like Guru Hargobind and Guru Gobind Singh, who were more than prepared to confront the foe and uproot them, even at the expense of their own lives. Even at the expense of their own lives. Even at the expense of their own lives. Now that Shabad Joto Prem Kalankachau Sertar Tali Gali Muriyau. Now people are always arguing, did Baba Deep Singh have his head cut off or not? Did Baba Deep Singh have his head cut off or not? That doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. All their gurus lived like they had their heads on their palms forever. Always believing there was no safety net. That, you know, <clears throat> this is how what you have to appreciate. Every morning Guru Gobind Singh woke up, he never knew whether he would go to bed again or whether he would have another morning or not. And not at the hands of the enemies particularly. <clears throat> yep, at the hands of his you know, own Sikhs because there would have been many Sikhs present who would not have been happy with what the Gurus were doing and they would have had uh, worked alongside the enemy to dismantle Sikhi from within. Yep, that's true. And you, you have <clears> to <throat> remember, they even fired shots at Nome Pasha Guru Tegh Bhadar Sahib. Guru Tegh Bhadar Sahib, yes, right. Now, <clears throat> so what is the Khalsa essentially? Now, I'll quote from the Sri Gur Soba of Senapati. Senapati was a poet in uh, Guru Gobind Singh's court. Gur Soba is a little Atiyasa Granth, pretty much. Uh, we trust the Gur Soba more than we trust other Granths because we know which parts might have been corrupted or changed. But here anyway is how he uh, how he describes the Khalsa. So basically, this is what Kavi Senapati says. De darshan kena bida mantadeo parbu eka kahet Khalsa Khalsa esel karet bibek. What this means is that, you know, Vahiguru sent the revelation to Guru Gobind Singh Ji. He gave him a <clears throat> great formula. And this formula was, you know, how to create the Khalsa, this mystical formula, how to create the Khalsa and, you know, what the Khalsa would do and aim for. 
And so from there, <clears throat> Guru Gobind Singh decided that, you know, the Sikhs would be the Khalsa. So there would be a transition. So here we have the Khalsa Panth, which is the ultimate form of Sikhi. Sikhi's main purpose is to get you to become Khalsa, which is pure. And that is, Kyo Jad Bachni Satgur Karan Karan Sarv Sangti Ad Ant Mera Khalsa. That the Sangats from among the Sangats would be formed the Khalsa. Now, this is what Senapati says. He heard Guru Gobind Singh saying directly himself in the Sangat. So this was in the lead up to the creation of the Khalsa, that you know, period when the Guru finally decided that this is how I'm going to create the Khalsa. Now, the fact is that many scholars, historians, and historical figures they have always argued that Guru Gobind Singh created the Khalsa by himself. There was no prior uh, planning that, you know, the Khalsa was only created in 1690, uh, 1699. The way it's presented is Guru Gobind Singh woke up, created the Khalsa, end of story. But to create such a dynamic institution, I believe there would have been a high degree of pre-planning and it is borne out by current... Uh, findings we are finding in our history today. Unfortunately, a greater amount of the Panth remains blind to those findings. I wouldn't say blind, I would say indifferent because uh, willfully indifferent because they, they don't want their belief to be shaken. Yes, I agree. They didn't want their belief to be shaken. Uh, yeah, that's a foremost one. Now, if you come to look at the Sri Guru Katha of Pai, Jeta, small text doesn't mention many dates, but the ones it mentions sort of uh, throws into quandary that entire uh, 1699 event. So to sort of provide a little, uh, you know, precursor to all this, in 2008 in the Journal of uh, Punjab Studies, Volume 15, 1 and 2, now there was presented a little article by Gurinder Singh Man of the USA that, you know, we need to reconsider three dates in Sikh history. So the first one was the birth of Guru Gobind Singh Ji in 1666. Second was the creation of the Khalsa in 1699. And the third was the replacement of, you know, personal Guru with Guru Granth in 1708. Now, the thing is that if we look at the historical grants now, quite a lot has been said and done on them, but we are just concerned with dates for the now. Uh, dates for now. Now, Chopa Singh, Kesar Singh, Shibar, Srup Das Pala, Srup Singh Koshish, and the Patvahiya. They mention Guru Gobind Singh Ji as having been born in 1661, right? There is a, a little bit of doubt over there, yeah. Pal Singh Pureval accepts 1662, but that's based on something he has found himself. I do not agree with that. Now, Sukha Singh, writing in 1797, he records the date of birth as a having been 1666. Now, what's so funny, according to Grinder Singh Man, is that, you know, he's someone who has studied the Dasam Granth as well and everything. There is a misappropriated chronology in all the sources which mention 1666 as the date of birth of Guru Gobind Singh Ji. But this date, for some reason, has been popularized quite highly in Gurdwaras and otherwise. For no reason. No one has able, ever been able to discover why 1666 has become the accepted date of Guru Gobind Singh's birth when he was born six years earlier in actuality. 
What grand scheme or design this works into, we have no idea. No idea. No idea at, at this stage. So now coming to the other one, dating of the creation of the Khalsa. Now, this is another funny one down here. None of the 18th century sources place it in 1699, which is, you know, quite... I guess that is quite intriguing in a way because a majority of these sources, they place it between 1695 and 1698. And only Kaur places it in 1689, but then it is the late 19th century invention of 1699 by Gyani Singh, which has again become popularized in Gurdwaras. Now, the argument down there is that obviously Gyani Singh being a Nirmala, he enjoyed British patronage. So that's why 1699 was, you know, thoroughly uh, promoted in the Panth at the time. But the 1699 date is refuted by physical evidence. Now, in 1679, Guru Gobind Singh Ji journeyed a bit out of Anandapur and he was in Kapal Mocha near uh, Ponta Sahib. And down there, he met a family of Brahmins who served him and uh, Basically, these Brahmins informed him that, you know, they did not want to believe in caste. They envisioned a united society like the Sikh Gurus did. And down there, uh, there is a Gurdwara. These relics are still there. So what Guru Gobind Singh did was that he actually uh, bestowed a copper plate to them, Tamar uh, Patar. And it was more like a certification that, you know, the Guru also gave them a few uh, land holdings down there and told the Sikhs to look out for them because they were, you know, quite instrumental to uh, helping the, you know, Khalsa. Now, 1679. And you know what's interesting about this document? It makes two mentions on there, which has given uh, traditional scholars and people who believe in traditional grants quite a heavy uh, headache in today's time, a migrant, I would say. And these two words specifically, one is it's signed off as Guru Gobind Singh, and this is in 1679, almost 20 years before, you know, the creation of the Khalsa. And the other is, it mentions that they helped his Khalsa. So the word Singh and Khalsa were already present before supposedly 1699. Yes, because we are talking about this event transpiring one year after Guru Tegh Bhadr's martyrdom. Now, we just covered the part that, you know, Dasa Pachaya aimed for the creation of the Khalsa in their own way. Guru Hargobind told Alpai Gurdas that after me, there will be four more Gurus until the full realization of our mission. So six plus four, ten, Guru Gobind Singh knew, because in a way, each Guru knew what his success uh, predecessor uh, ex uh, expected of him. So I actually believe that if the 1661 date makes sense, which to me it does, Guru Tegba, there surely would have, you know, talked with Guru Gobind Singh because at that time we need to remember children matured much faster. This was the age of the sword. Today you were there with your kid. Tomorrow you would be dead. Surely they would have tutored him in, you know, the significance of his mission, why he was becoming Guru. And Khalsa would have been the foremost concept they would have discussed. That's why we find it in that 1679 document. So that's the physical evidence we are talking about. That's the physical evidence we are talking about. Now, why it has been ignored for so long by our Pracharics? Well, they are sticking to the 1699 date. But then you look at those earlier sources, we have a majority of the 18th century sources. 
Then we come to another point. Now, again, this is where the Shri Gurkata actually uh, assists us again of Pai Jetta. Now, Battle of Pangani transpires. We need to remember Pai Jetta actually fought in this battle. He ultimately died at the Battle of Chamkor, but he finished the Shri Gurkata before, you know, even Anadpur was besieged by the Mughals. So what Pai Jetta tells us, even though there are no dates down there, what he actually tells us is that, you know, Battle of Pangani is finished. We are also relying on other sources as well. Guru Gobind Singh asks five individuals to get up who would forever stand up for the Sikhs. So it's almost a repeat of the Panjapiara ceremony, but he never takes them into a tent. So this happens a few more times in those 20 years. And this leads us to one more speculation. Now, you know, doesn't it seem a bit mysterious to you that, you know, by Deya Singh, Taram Singh, Himmat Singh, Mokam Singh, Sahib Singh, you know, the Panjapiaras have these uh, names, which are the virtues of the Khalsa, but they're supposed to have stood up only randomly when Guru Gobind Singh Ji uh, demanded a head in uh, 1698. Well, you do make a very interesting point. These things just can't be random, and you you cannot say that God works in mysterious ways. That's that's not the way. That, you know, we should do other things. No. So what it emerges is this is what I've been thinking is that you know whenever the guru called for five Sikhs to stand up, he was actually mentally, psychologically analyzing who was who and who was who, and there must have been a period when you know these five actually stood up and the guru would have started observing them you know in these 20 years he would have observed them that you know what they do how they live are they concomitant with the khalsa rehat and the khalsa rehat would surely have been uh, you know they would have started forming it at that time you know two decades in the making to prepare the Sikhs it wouldn't be a case of you know yeah look today you're the khalsa now you need to live like this surely there would have been you know time given to people to prepare Second thing, that Rehet being from Gurbani, the Guru would have, you know, obviously uh, exemplified, you know, how Rehet is uh, conjoined with uh, Gurbani. So, you know, people knew how to live as Gurbani wanted them to. Anyhow, what I actually believe would have happened in that uh, 1698, so that's the latest year given. A majority of the sources agreed that the Khalsa was created in 1698 April, Vaisakhi. Guru Gobind Singh would have stood up, come out of the tent, this time, people would have seen he's got a tent. You know, they would have seen he's got a tent. Something big's about to happen. The ones who would have stood up previously, they would have, you know, sort of refused to stand up. Demanded ahead three times. Three times. Looked around. Saw no one. He would probably have, you know, just then uh, turned to their Ram, who was, you know, who wasn't there saying at the time and said, oh, if no one else is coming there, Ram, what's stopping you? You come on. And then there Ram would have got up and apologized that, you know, forgive me for not uh, standing up the first three times. My life is yours, Guruji. You have asked for it. Do with me as you will. Uh, okay. Let's, <clears throat> uh, let's talk about it in this way. Would <clears throat> it make sense for a normal Sikh to just believe that Khalsa is just there to fight? No, 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 no. It wouldn't have made sense. I mean, okay, what we okay. learned from this... Yep. Point two of my question. Giving the head to your guru and asking for a head, has hmm. it got anything to do with who you are as a Sikh, as by your beliefs? I guess at that time, this would have been done as a test to establish who actually trusted the guru. Because, I mean, 
I think if we do, we don't have any stats for, you know, what the Sangat would have been like at the time. But as things would have, you know, grown, as the Gurus would have progressed with their mission, the amount of Sangat would surely have decreased over time. People would have been saying, we don't want to lose our lives. And this, you know, calling for the head was just one of the many ways to see who actually was willing to stand alongside the Guru. I have read it like a... a from the old books I read that uh, there were about 80,000 people on that day. Well, however many there were, the point is that, you know, they refused to stand up when the Guru came out and demanded a head three times when they realized that, you know, there's a tent behind him. He means to do something really big. That that psychological fear crippled them until he started calling out the Panjabiatas by name. Okay. Yep. Okay. So I'm going slightly off the tangent a little bit, but I think that's important. Yep. Because what, what I'm about to tell you and ask. Yep. So, so if there are 80,000 people over there, yes. could more, could be less, does that mean that the preparations of that event must have been going on for a few years? You, you will have needed to send a few letters here and there inviting hmm. people. Yes. It wasn't just, and uh, it wasn't, it couldn't be a normal gathering because that's the time of the harvest. No, it couldn't be a normal gathering. And there was a, we know that from a contemporary Mughal uh, letter written by Aurangzeb, there was a massive surveillance and strict watch on Anandapur at the time as well. So they were watching. Yep, state doing the state things. Okay. So this was a long time in preparation. Hmm. Because if, they, if there's 8,000 people, you need to you know, probably arrange for the accommodation, the food, water, and everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. So if there if eight eight thousand people gathering in, in one place, that's an ex excellent, let's say, yes. op opportunity for the enemy to finish you off after before you have fought so many wars with the with the uh, hill rajas. Yes. Yeah. So we need to let's say learn more about these events, especially the events between uh, Nawab Pasha's uh, Shahidi and uh, the creation of Khalsa. Yes, yes, that's that's something we need to focus on. And this uh, article in the you know Journal of Punjab Studies that was just the or Sikh studies that was just the tip of the iceberg at the time. That was just the tip of the iceberg at the time. But these dates need to be reconsidered in light of what is practical and what actually transpired. For me personally, because I'm not that much into history and everything, hmm. I, I would say that I personally am more interested in what happened rather than when exactly it happened unless there is some uh, link hmm. mm -hmm. you know well, what I mean? the yes i know what you mean well the first thing we have established is the 1679 that you know the khalsa was is more older than 1699 at least yeah so that is the link hmm. yeah and then afterwards we have the event where, you know, the Guru comes out of the tent. Now, Pai Jetta sees this now. Two schools of thought. One say that Pai Jetta saw this and he recorded it after the Battle of Pangani, that maybe the same happened at the Battle of Pangani. But then we have some other vague sources which tell us that the tent was only added around that 1698 period. So latest date, again, given for the creation of the Khalsa, 1698 and not 1699. Now, maybe this was an error by Gyani Gyan Singh in calculating dates. We don't know, but he would have been off by a year at least, and I'm sure he would have realized that. So we don't know what's actually happened when he was actually writing his own version of history. 
there, Anyhow, there, so, yep. there is something that uh, that could be the reason. You know how yeah. the number nine and eight are written? Yes. So there's a very slight difference. And Gurmukhi. Yeah. Yes. So there, there might be a possibility you could have been mistaken easily. I guess that that is a very interesting point, actually. That would only be clarified if he can get his original manuscripts. Now, it's claimed that it, either they were destroyed by the Sang Sabha or, you know, confiscated by the British. But yes, no, I agree with you. It would be interesting to see the initial template which was made to publish these works and uh, what he actually wrote down. So maybe there was that, uh, you know, uh, how would you say, translative mistake. So the eight was made into a nine. Yep. So it, uh, since uh, I know how to read these things, no, just just some basic thing. So I think yep. this this thing might have happened because we are talking about something written in uh, 1797. Uh, in the 1800s, he would have been writing it in the late 1800s. So, uh, so the original text might have aged, and you know, well, there is a possibility. Yes, it would be interesting. I mean, one of the things we have actually uh, failed to do is, you know, find out how these works were published because the publication history would be pretty interesting to look up as well, that, you know, how he took it, when he took it and what happened. But yes, it's sort of, I guess it does make sense because he's only off by one year as well. Yep, one year, yep. I mean, and, if it, if it, uh, okay. Do you find any mentions of the creation of Khalsa in the, in the Mughal sources? We do have letters. We do have one letter, so I will actually read that out to you as well. Uh, that's by that's actually quoted by Dr. Gunda Singh. I've just got his book down here, uh, Volume 1 of uh, Short History of the Sikhs. Uh, Would well, you know whether this book was actually, does if Volume 2 was ever published? Man, I don't know much. I don't know much about Punjabi books that have been published and about Sikh history and everything. I, I, I read a few. I'm not too mm. sure about about the publishing details. Mm. That's that's actually something which should be interesting to actually look up. That you know what's actually happened. That uh, did it actually uh, was it printed or not? Anyhow, so what's actually happened is that okay. So when we get back down there, uh, the source we have down here is actually referenced by Ahmad Shah Batalia. And this is actually also referenced by Butesha as well. So they seem to have relied on an older, uh, it's assumed, a military source at the time who would have actually, you know, kept a watch on the guru. So what the guru actually, what they report is that, you know, those individuals are taken into the tent and then they come out and, you know, the guru also asks for initiation into the Khalsa. Now, here's something what uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji actually uh, says. I wish you all to embrace one creed and follow one path, obliterating all differences of religion. Let the four Hindu castes who have different rules laid down for them in the Shastras, abandon them all together, and adopting the way of cooperation mix freely with one another. Let no one deem himself superior to another. Do not follow the old scriptures. Let none pay heed to the Ganges and other, whole, other places of pilgrimage which are considered holy in the Hindu religion or adore the Hindu deities, such as Rama, Krishna, Brahma, and Durga. All should believe in Guru Nanak and his successes. Let men of the four castes receive my uh, initiation, eat out of the same vessel, and feel no disgust or contempt for one another. Now, this is actually according by both uh, Ahmad Shah, Bhutesha, 
and uh, Sohanlal in his uh, Umadat al-Tuarik. Also, it's uh, mentioned in the Sosaki as well. And what actually happens is that after the Guru says this, a majority of the Hindus present just get up, abuse abuse him, and then leave, saying that, you know, this young, uh, this young boy of no years thinks he can actually uh, take on our religion. They just leave straight away. So that's also mentioned as well. So that's the type of source we have, which does confirm that the Mughals knew what was happening. Yep, they knew exactly what was happening. So they must be keeping a very keen eye. Very keen. Now, on that point, there is another, uh, well, I wouldn't call it a source, but it's mentioned by quite a lot of Babaji's that uh, there's a source which says that the Guru uh, cut off the heads and then sued them back on again when he was, uh, you know, that, you know, he invited uh, all the Panjipiyaris up, he cut them one by one, he beheaded them in front of the Sangats, we, uh, we sued their heads onto their bodies and then, you know, they woke up alive. It's claimed this is a, an Aligarh Muslim University a Muslim university. Here's the thing. They would say on stage that we have been to the university and seen this source. The thing is, no such source exists at the university. It's been checked with the university. And the people who say they've seen that source, the registrars down there have no record of their name that they ever came into the university in the first place. Okay, I'm going to say something. Uh, well, it is funny, but this could be blasphemous. Hmm. As a kid, I have heard that when the, the five, well, well, the gurus have chopped off uh, heads of all five of the Pajipiaris here. Yeah? Hmm. When they came out of the tent, all five of them, yeah? Hmm. Yes. They had, let's say, interchanged their bodies and their heads. Yes, I've heard that as well. I've heard that as well. But fingers. So my head on your body and your head on my body. Yep. I guess this Frankenstein's version of it, this is just a senseless gup, as much as the one that is uh, actually thrown around about some source and, you know, Aligarh Muslim University saying that, you know, heads were sued on again and that a Mughal spy actually saw, you know, dead Sikhs get up again. It's, I don't really understand what people get out of believing in this in the first place or promoting it. Oh, oh, they do, they do. They want to elevate their beliefs, uh, let's say, above the other ones and uh, maybe to the, to the same levels as the other one. Because the, the other beliefs, let's say, the Abrahamic faith and the Hindu faith are full of miracles. So mm-hmm. We also need to invent miracles because we don't want to be seen as lesser. Mm, that's the thing, that's the thing. Now, what's funny is, as one of our team members mentioned, you know, people like this who actually promote these stories, create these stories... They wake up every morning, stunned by two things, the amount of bullshit they can cook up and the amount of bullshit they cook up, which people actually fall for. <laughs> and also, you, you have to remember in the UK, the guys who, who said that, I think it was at the Hyde Park, that you know, people get together and have a discussion, that a Gurnada yep. flew around the world like a sparrow. Yeah, he turned into a sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for laughing, but... And every person would just say, WTF, what's happening? What's happening? Yep, what's happening? So a sparrow mm. is, is not, let's say, evolutionary designed to fly for long distances. Yep, I mean, uh, one of these uh, katas I used to listen to when I was younger was, this is this is actually quite uh, funny. Um, 
Bala used to uh, write his Chor Sahib Harry Potter style. Mardana used to write his Rabab Harry Potter style. And Baba and Nanak used to do Savari of Shabad to, you know, reach wherever they wanted to go in two minutes. Yeah, and Baba Nanak also rode a fish. And, Baba and, fish. Yep. and that fish, let's say, well, the correct word is regurgitated, 36 different types of foods to offer to Guru Sahib and the companion. You just don't know what people get out of these stories anyway. Well, these are things I've heard with my own ears. I'm not talking about uh, I heard somebody say that or somebody talk like that. That's something yep. I have, I've heard myself. Yep. And and nobody dared to caution those so-called babas and sons. Well, now times have changed, haven't they? Yep. Now, another thing down here, which we see from Pai Jetta, Sri Gurkatha now, what Senapati did was Senapati never wrote how the Khalsa was created. He was, you can see from his works that he was just uh, too affectionate for the Khalsa. He always focused on what the Khalsa is rather than how the Khalsa came into being. Nonetheless, by Jetta wrote how the Khalsa came into being. So, you know, two, uh, as I was mentioning, two versions. Either he saw this after the Battle of Pangani or either he decided to add this last description of how the Khalsa was created to his Gurkatha. Uh, when it actually happened in 1698 on Vesaki, the day of Guru Nanak's birth. Anyhow, he writes how the you know Sings are actually you know taken into the tent. They come out looking like the Guru, and they all sit down. And the Guru prepares Kande Amrit and gives it to them, takes it from them in turn, and you know gives the Nash doctrine that you know the Khalsa is now free from all this, all these superstitions, past life karma, whatever old beliefs were. Interesting thing, he never mentions that uh, Mata Ajit Kaur or Mata Sahib Kaur or Mata Sundar Kaur were there and they put Patasa into the butter. He never mentions mm. that at all. And I guess when you mention something like that, I, well, what I believe actually happened is that, you know, the individuals who wrote that the Mata, one of the Matas came with the, you know, Patases and put them in the bowl. They knew that they were mitigating Sikhi's emphasis on gender equity. So they decided to write this in as a concession. But what they made the guru look like was that the guru was imperfect, that someone else, a Sikh, had to come and rectify his work. What I've also heard is like uh, before they put patasas to make Amrit, let's say, quote-unquote, less violent, Guru mm. gave the Amrit to some birds and they fought to death fighting each other. Now, it's also claimed that at that time, you know, Guru Gobind Singh said that, you know, his uh, sparrows will kill hawks. Now, I guess what they have done is that, you know, all these quotes, they've decided to attach some sort of Pujari Vadi incident with them, which makes no sense at all. So after 200 years, let's say, let's say from uh, 1469 to 1669, that's 200 years. So after that, let's say 230 years, would hmm. a Sikh still be a sparrow? A weak, feeble unsecure sparrow or, or during that that period with that much that much pachar and that much hard work of the gurus we, we would have become hawks already we could have become we would have become hawks already because i mean if you look at it baba nanak made sparrows into hawks you need to look at it baba nanak's pachar was enough to awaken the world that's why he was seen as being you know enemy number one of religion in the state so there's no question of sparrows becoming hawks in the first place and the sixth Pasha fighting battles and winning all of them, still a sparrow? Guru Harai coming down to Lahore for Dara Shiko and there too arrayed in battle formation, 
No question of sparrow down there. No question of sparrow down there. I mean, Guru Tegbah, they're going to Delhi and telling Aurangzeb that I'm dying here for the freedom of conscience and not for any religion, because all religions which I've seen are actually curbing the freedom of conscience, whether it's Hinduism or Islam, but I'm dying for the impartial freedom of conscience. Here I am. Do your best to break me. I won't break. I'll die before I break. Is that a question of sparrows? Well, that's something you have to ask to anybody and everybody who tells you that story or narrates that story or believes in that story. That's right. That's right. Now, what happens is that Guru Gobind Singh initiates everyone into the Khalsa. Women come up as well. Men, children, everyone come up as well. It's all done. The Khalsa has been created. But the fact is, the Khalsa, I guess I said created, but the Khalsa has been physically manifested. The ideological foundations were already there before from the time of Baba Nanak. Yep. It takes a long time, mate. It takes a long time. Long time now. This was a revolution written in blood. So from even the if, start. Yeah. So even if you plant a tree today, it will take a few years for it to give you fruits. Yes, few years for it to give you fruit. And I guess this was the gurus aimed for the perfect revolution. So you know, thus part focused on formulating the Khalsa, and Guru Gobind Singh had two important roles. He was to be the template for that Khalsa as well as, you know, physically implement its existence. The 10th master is still misunderstood by a vast majority of Sikhs. Still is, still is misunderstood the way they've created it. Now, what we discussed was, you know, that uh, the Guru called for a head three times, saw no one else was there. He turned to Daya Singh, who had uh, Daya Ram, who he had been watching for the previous two decades or the previous 15 years, and he said, look, why don't you come up? And, you know, Daya Ram got up, came out as Daya Singh. Does that make more sense to you? Or the fact that one of these Piares was a hunter in the past and the guru was a bird and he shot the, the hunter, shot the bird, and the bird told him that, you know, they would uh, sort of uh, get even in their next birth. And then, you know, Guru Gobind Singh Ji made him into a, Carl Saab or whatever that big story is. Have you heard about that? Unfortunately, I have. Yes, so does that make more sense to you or does this make more sense to you? Well, then you have to measure my IQ first before asking that question. <laughs> okay, I know. I'm actually happy with the fact you got a lot of IQ, probably more than me. But the fact is that, you know... Room temperature, stories... Indian summer, Fahrenheit. That's the IQ. <laughs> That's the IQ. But look at the tale which has been made to deceive the Sangat, you know, that, you know, the Gurus were caught in this uh, Janamaranda Chakra themselves. Well, uh, th that's the point about reincarnation. It never ends. Mm. It never ends. It never ends. And when the Guru created the Khalsa, the Khalsa was free from all this, you know, past Dharam Karam. That's, that's what Guru Gobind Singh said. And uh, if we actually look at the 18th century sources, they say that, you know, as the, as the Sikhs were being baptized into the Khalsa, there were also the regressive ones who had actually regressed back into their ancestral faiths. When they came to be initiated into the Khalsa, the Guru had a massive fire built up. And in this fire, they threw all their taviz, janu, all the past trappings, all the trappings of their past fates. That's something that would have been needed. It makes sense. But where does this leave our uh, political correctness brigade today? 
in shambles in anchors and marching to my doorstep with armed well let's say guns and stuff and maybe swords and all the chukkars and you know playing gatka the political correct brigade the political correctness brigade who says oh no nothing like that happened you know we are dilsaf blah 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 here the guru's actually burning all these symbols of past you know beliefs that burn them and get the kakars are, are you still waiting for your rss money to come in <laughs> i guess they will be saying something like that now the issue of the panch kakars as well there was a court case in 2009 which proved that you know the keeping of caste is mandated in the guru granth sahib now there's an interesting book by professor gurdeep singh who actually fought this uh, case no one else did so a retired university professor took up the challenge in 2009 quite a hallmark case and i guess why i'm always saying that you know seek lawyers abroad need to read that book and because it references all those court case documents and judgments and the judge at the time called for a further study of the fact that you know Sikhs can justify their kakars through a further analysis of the guru granth sahib which no one has taken up at the moment now regarding the panch kakar this is you know something we need to discuss as well there are means to an end rather than the end themselves there are means to an end yeah they serve a purpose they serve a purpose and what's actually funny is that you know when we start thinking that these are the end themselves people exploit our gullibility now we, imagine uh, imagine yep let's say it's pai taru singh yes every single kakar of his has been removed yes So when the kakars were removed, was he not a Sikh anymore? That's the thing. That's the thing. Let's let's even assume. Well, I'm not too sure what evidence is present that when the Suraj Chaudhary Sahib they were executed, were martyred, hmm. they would have removed, let's say, their turbans, their kakars, and everything, you know, in order to force them to submit. Yes. that's right i mean banda singh bahadur when he was executed by mani singh when he was executed that's what would have happened so that should have happened yeah so <laughs> the physical kakars when they were they were removed that didn't mean anything to them at that exact moment no it didn't because these kakars they symbolized that they were Sikhs that they were rooted into Sikhi the real challenge comes this is how the challenge comes in a Sikh's life you have the kakars do you stand up to the occasion when you need to prove your Sikhi and two when the kakars are removed do you still stick to your Sikhi yes because when you are captured by the enemy let's say when 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 you are cut down in the battle you no know, you can't do much physically you are still no, you a can't. Sikh yep now they they might remove they might remove your kakar they might cut off your hair they might chop chop you by rigid by rigid limb by limb you are still a sikh because the bottom line is shabd guru surat ton chala the word is surat not surat mm surat ton chala now you know daru singh's cash they would have known that if he cut these off they will grow back again how long will we cut them off let's take a scalp off when they took a scalp off there was no question of the cash being you know connected to his body because his scalp was off 
does that mean that Pai Taru Singh never uh, went to, you know, uh, Sachkhanda or, you know, whatever they say nowadays? Does this mean that Pai Taru Singh is not deserving of being a Sikh martyr? That Pai Taru Singh died without taking Amrit and repenting for his skull being removed? Because his cash were gone? Okay, uh, another point. We have dis- discussed about the Nankana Sev uh, massacre and we did a podcast on it, yeah? Podcast yep. on it. Sorry, I'm mispronouncing a lot of words today. Sorry. Oh, that's all good. So when Sikhs were burnt alive, their cars would have burnt before they died. Yes. So if if they burnt me alive, my beard, my, my facial hair, the hair on my head, my turban, there is a possibility mm. that it might have, let's say, could have burnt up before I died, yeah? Yes. So would that take my Sikhi away if my hair were burnt or cut or shaved off? Hmm, hmm. You yourself are disciplined enough to keep it, but the enemy wants to, you know, uh, impugn your person, impeach your personality by, you know, divesting you of your kakars, which is uh, quite a significant insult for a gurmukh. But if they succeed in what they're doing, that does not mean that your sikhi decreases because you're sticking to sikhi until the very end. Well, the, the enemy will go to any extent to insult you, to deride you, not to, to exact revenge on you. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. Now, regarding the Panch Kakars, this is how Pai Jeta actually describes them in his uh, Gurkatha. Panch Bade Prabke Dar Hai Ar Panch Ka Maan Hai Gurdbare. Now, what this means is that five portals to his threshold, five revered in the Lord's court, Kirpan Kach Kara Kes Kakar Kar Dino Nische Panch Kakare. The Kirpan Kara Kesh Kach Kanga. These are the five Ks. And he mentions them as being portals, you know, portals as a means. That's what he means, that these are a means to an end and not the end in themselves as we have made it out to be. Now, you know, whenever the Punjab elections come along, people in the West are quite excited about it, especially kids. And um, happened a few years ago. I was actually on Facebook and uh, one of my friends was arguing with another friend and this friend was saying that, you know, no matter how corrupt that politician is, no matter how many cases he has against him, we are going to avoid him. Why? Because he does his nickname every morning. He has the Panchka cards. So that, okay, I think we have discussed this earlier. We, we as Sikhs still have, haven't progressed into that stage of our civilization that we are unable to differentiate between our social, political, and religious, religious issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a political thing, and you are looking at it through a, re- a religious lens. Religious lens, that's right. Now, the fact is that, you know, at that time, the Khalsa had very stringent regulations when it was on the march because anyone could have infiltrated it by, you know, disguising themselves as a Sikh. All you needed were the Panjkakars. Easy infiltration, just like today. That's just like today. Now, this was, this became so hard for, you know, at that time, at the Mughal time, this became so impossible that Bahadur Shah actually released a document we will reference it in the upcoming uh, time so it's actually quoted by a contemporary at the time now kushwant singh mentioned that uh bahadur shah forced hindus to shave their uh, beards and mustaches bahadur shah gave another additional ruling as well that muslims needed to cut off their mustache and shave their beards to a certain length so they could differentiate between them and the sikhs and this made it quite impossible for them to actually infiltrate their agents and the sikhs because most often when sikhs were being killed some of these uh, double agents were also killed with them because there was no way to recognize them. Okay. Uh, okay. 
imagine this scenario from a military standpoint yeah mm, yep sikhs are fighting in a battle it's, it's not like those 19th century battles where you form a straight line a straight ranks and just shoot at each other in volleys yep so it was hand to hand combat sword fighting using the spears and occasional use of muskets cuz you didn't have the time of the or the opportunity to reload it yep so in that scenario let's say a contingent of let's say 100 100 sikhs joined the battle yes how would you know that they are not on enemy plot hmm hmm how would the enemy or let's say an, an enemy foot soldier know that these people are on our, on our side yep would they be wearing some special kind of armbands or something Mm-hmm. There would have been many ways for the Sikhs to recognize each other. There would have been many ways for them to do it, but the Panch Kakars wouldn't have been the foremost call because anyone could have won them. Anyone could have won them. Yep. So, from, from a military, military standpoint, this, these things make sense because there is something called a false flag. Mm-hmm. The Kakars are an ideological necessity. We are not saying that they're not necessary, but they aren't the ends in themselves and those Sikhs at the time would have recognized this as well and there would surely have been many attempts to infiltrate Sikhs by disguising themselves as a Sikh and i guess this is borne out by the fact that whenever a muslim expressed a desire to convert to the khalsa they actually used to feed him pork first yeah true these things so, actually did happen in uh, like in very small numbers in 1947 as well yep so Sure, they would have known at the time that you know they're actually you know well. What's the guarantee that a guy who comes up to you in a bana and wearing the kakars is actually you know a genuine Sikh? We see this in Delhi a lot of times. People wearing nihang bana, you know, and they're just beggars. Or you know, there was one video I saw a year back, a uh, Punjabi university somewhere in Punjab, in one of the schools, they caught a nihang who was going around asking for money, and uh, they started beating him up. And it turns out that when they ripped the the mala off, no hair underneath. <laughs> it was a it was a boy with a you know it was a boy i think a hindu boy with a you know uh just a wispy beard and a mustache going on his face but other than that there was no case up there and they thrashed the living daylights out of him for impersonating a sikh and he had everything the kirpan the kara the kach the you know kanga as well and if they hadn't taken their uh, turban off they would never have realized what the reality was many such cases many such cases i mean when we talk about what happened 20 30 years ago this is what used to happen people used to disguise themselves as sikhs and turn up at your door how would you know they're sikhs or not well you would never know i mean if you say that you know the panchakars are the you know the you know markers of a sikh fine then but do they live like a sikh do they deserve that uniform especially in punjab I, i've seen people let's say on on uh, well some some wedding functions they would just you know drink while yeah. having their kakars on mm, that that that's the thing now the kakars were a two edged sword as far as guru gobind singh was concerned because one thing they allowed you to judge another sikh on the other hand they also spoke to the sikhs sikhi themselves but if they were removed that's when the critical challenge came that the kakars are gone is he still a sikh well that's why i asked you a question the kakars are gone t- taken away against your will yeah yep and uh, well you you can't do much in that situation you are still a sikh but today hmm. people amrittari people i've seen people in my own village in my own vicinity people who are amrittari 
they lie, they they are lobo, kamhankar, everything. Yes. But they believe that since they've got the five Ks, they are complete Sikhs. And that sort of stupidity has destroyed us, hasn't it? Yeah, that's done a lot of damage to us. Yep. Now, the Khalsa has created, so getting back to that, now we have Senapati saying something that this is what the, you know, Guru said next. This is uh, in chapter 5 of the Guru Sobha. All these quotes are from chapter 5. What this means is getting detached. So getting detached not from the world, but worldly concerns. Guru Gobind Singh focused on creating the Khalsa and created it. And then he said My, uh, the Khalsa could face aggressions. So then he made a declaration which everyone heard. And this was that they must renounce the Masands and all other attachments to similar institutions. They should renounce the five vices and adopting the Khalsa identity. So now the thing is that while Senapati does not explicitly mention the Kakars, he mentions the Khalsa identity. So we take his word that there was the Kakars as well. They must be distinguished. They must wear that identity to be distinguished. And wearing an armor must they fight wars. So they should be ready to scrap it out. There's no running away from the fact that, you know, the Khalsa will always be under attack. So what that means, devouring so many must they expand, becoming brave warriors must they take to war with swords. After a thorough deliberation must they punish the errant reforming the world must they emancipate humanity and there it is the guru's given them that mission they must reform the world and emancipate humanity from its base self that's the mission of the khalsa and if if they need to then they also need to fight physically but it isn't all about just going out there and fighting your ass off every day you also need to emancipate humanity as well you need to find more than one way to do it you can't emancipate to the sword alone. Uh, no, no, you can't. You can't. This this was what Guru Gobind Singh aimed for, that, you know, the Khalsa would always be a minority. The Guru knew this. It would be a minority, but it would be a minority because its calling was very strict, very disciplined. You know, what I believe is that the original template for the Khalsa was Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh lived his life with deliberation to match Guru Nanak's life so he could give that, you know, final exemplar to his Khalsa. Okay, let me ask you this question in, in some other way. Yep. Has any Guru lived his life outside the Khalsa way of life? No, no, none. So, so a question as simple as that should be enough? Should be enough. Now, I mean, for the listeners... This is a massive topic we're covering. So if you really need to do your own research, you would have to do your own research. We can't answer just about every question that, you know, if Guru Nanak didn't eat meat, that Guru Gobind Singh eat meat, Karl Sada's Chatka, did the Gurus have Kakars? We can't answer all those questions here. You just need to do your own research. However, Guru Gobind Singh created, or I guess manifested Nanak's Khalsa. It was a revolution in blood. We are still paying the price today as well. We will always pay the price for being Khalsas. Let me tell you an interesting story. Gyanid Ditsing was a pure Khalsa. Do we agree on that? Yep. 
He fought through the pen. Through what? He fought through his pen. He wrote articles. Oh, pen. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I heard I heard penders. He fought in no, the pen. Sorry. Oh, yep. He, he, yep. So he fought through his pen. Yeah, yeah. He died on the streets of Hoshiarpur. At that time, there was no one who was able to buy his medicine for him. Just just an example of being a Khalsa. You know, it, it isn't easy. Professor Gurmukh Singh stood up for the Panth. He died in a hovel, uh, harassed by traditionalists and the like. Excommunicated, I think. Excommunicated as well. Going back a bit further, Bandha Singh Badr became Khalsa, died on the streets of Delhi, betrayed by his own... Yep. Excommunicated. Yep, betrayed by his own men. Then we look further up. Guru Gobind Singh, born in a palace, dies in a tent, stabbed. Being a Khalsa isn't easy. Because, you know, it's easy to become a Mritari and have the Kakars, but when you start living that life and speaking up, then remember if Namdev was thrown in front of an elephant, you will also be thrown in front of multiple elephants. Maybe trampled under the tank. Trampled under tanks. Kabir was tied up and thrown into a river. You will be, you know, tied up and boiled alive in oil as well. That that Khalsa lifestyle is pretty, quite brutal, quite intense, but it is also very disciplined because, you know, how they say, the promise is that, you know, you will pass through life's trials and travails. That's exactly what the Khalsa way is. If you follow it 100%, there's a guarantee 101% that you will succeed life's travails. At the end of the day, today I've seen something, the world is turning its face away from, you know, historical personalities who, you know, sort of were very, how would we say, affluent and rich and, you know, showing off. They are turning towards the people who actually triumphed over their own lives. Who triumphed over their own lives. Own lives. Own, li- own lives. It, it is hard. Fighting yourself is the biggest challenge a Khalsa can undertake. And let me tell you, it's a battle 99% of Sikhs today always lose. Fighting yourself. Me included. I'll hold my judgment on that. <laughs> now... After the Khalsa is created, it's such a dynamic body. Look at the intellectual offensives which have happened against it. The physical offensives don't succeed, so the intellectual offensives have started. Now, all the hobbyists and self-professed amateur researchers online saying that, you know, Sikhs used to do this, Sikhs used to do that, blah, 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 Sanatan Dharma, we have Dharma as well. All of them are sitting quiet today because, you know, what they used to say, what they used to claim was research, all that is being used against Sikhs today as well. So, okay, I think you know about this. Hmm. Uh, the way Buddhism weakened in, in India to, was through the manuscripts and the texts. Yes, inserted, fabricated. Yeah. Just uh, they would just say, "This is what your religion says." Hmm. Hmm. When it doesn't. You- when it doesn't, and when, when those texts were, let's say, designed, written, and published by, by 
people who preceded you with the same ideology. Hmm. Now, there is a quote. Can you also uh, read it from the Bansavalli Nama? I sent it to you last night and also mentioned the page reference as well for the listeners. Okay. And I'll translate it. You just read the entire Gurmukhi and I'll translate the English. So I'll start from uh, number 39. Uh, Bansavalli Nama. Yes, Kesar Singh Shabarabad Guru Arjun. Okay. Wait, uh, correct me if, uh, if I'm pronouncing the, reading the wrong one. Yes. Okay, so that's the other one, but just keep on going on that one. So, you know, we will translate it as well. We were getting to it, so we will start with that first. It's related Mother. to the culture concept anyway. So I've just read uh, number 39. Yes, that's the Suraj Prakash. Okay. Keep going. So, uh, okay, it's up to Jitra Singh. Yes. So you want me to read that? Yes, keep going. Keep going, okay. Then I'll read Jujbo Jujko Prantajay. Yes, just read the entire Bachitra Singh one. Read it in Gurmukhi, Turtle Gurmukhi. Okay, hold on. Yep. So I'm, I'm reading from Bansavi Nama. Oh, okay, so. Uh, Bansavli Nama, if you're reading from the Bansavli... Okay, so let's just start on that one first. So we will, yeah, just read those few lines. So it says, Sahib Vardhata Mata Sarda Bhavani Sahib Lakiv Charna Asnate Shabd Bani Yep, and what it says ahead. Yep, and then what it says ahead. Char Likhari Teer Apne Tehrai Likhade Jaan Jo Sahib Rasni Alai Jo Kuch Sahib Rasni Alai Page 74 of the Bansavalli Nama by Shibir. Now, what this means is that, okay, look, we are agreed that Turki, Bani, Yaj, and Sagli, Chintamitai, this is what Guru Go, uh, uh, the Gurus say themselves. This is where Guru. So if you see what I mean, Guru Arjan Dev, what Shibar is saying is that Guru Arjan Dev received a blessing from Pavani, and that's when he started, you know, writing down Gurbani. <sighs> from Pavani, yeah. Pavani, yep. Ma- now, Mata Sarda Pavani. Mata Sarda Pavani. That's the thing. So look at how so, they have that, tried. So that's yep. uh, the the uh, goddess Saraswati. Yep, Goddess Saraswati. So, so see how from the start they have tried detracting from the Khalsa. So they decided, look, corrupting the history of Guru Gobind Singh is enough. We will corrupt the history of past Gurus as well. So you, so, you could write 10 good sentences about the Guru. And then in the 11th sentence, you would just add a single mistake that changes the whole context. Whole context of it. So this is not Turki Bani. This is Bhavani's Bani. That's what he's implying. Yep, he's clearly implying it, that, that all this was written at the orders of a Hindu goddess. Yep, now let's go on to the other one, the Bachitar Singh one. If you read that uh, Gurmukhi from the Suraj Prakash, read the entire Gurmukhi and I'll give the English translation. Okay, hold on. 
hold on, hold on. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. We got time. The listeners are listening. <laughs> listeners are listening. Well, I want to make a joke, but I, I, okay, I'm not going to. Yep. Okay. Do you want me to read from Shri Bhukte Sanguchara? Ah, yes, from the start. Yeah, Shri Bhukte Sanguchara Sukh Mercha Anudara. Hmm. It says, "Bina, okay, bina malbahu sama bitea, pan kare holse tavchita." Hmm. Sunnat Sunnat Glaba Turnagayo Jai Bazar Kridan Kyo. Jab Guru Upuvan Bat Jai Kam Kamneopur Sai Sai Kushki Arkadute Hoi Pachat Amalapiontesoi. Okay, up stop there. So this one is actually from Sakadi Pagamala there, so okay, because you aren't used to these texts. I'll translate this one out. So don't worry about it. This is supposed to be written by, by Mani Singh and Sakadi Pagdamala. What it says is that Guru Gobind Singh is sitting under a tree. He has a he has sore feet, so he decides that for a long time now I haven't had my opium. I need opium. I need the amul. I need the addiction. I need the intoxicant. And he tells the asks the Sikhs nearby that you know do you have anything I can get high on? That's that's what Guru Gobind Singh is supposed to be asking. That's and this is supposed to have come from Pai Mani Singh. And what this means is that Guru Gobind Singh was someone who relied on drugs to do his daily work. And Guru so, tells us that intoxicants should be avoided. Yes, that's right. For medical purposes, it's something else. But down here, the Guru is saying that, look, I need something to get high on. It's been a long time since I've been really high. And I also have sore feet. So that's the afterthought. But really, he just wants to get high. Okay, I'll, I'll read the next one. So, yep. okay, just hold on for a moment. This is a, a huge insult on our Guruji, but people are not, A, not aware of it, B, believe in it, that the Gurus have indeed consumed intoxicants. Yep. So their definition of the Khalsa changes to confirm to this. That's the thing. Their definition of the Khalsa changes. Okay, I'll, I'll read uh, the, the next text. Yep. Kaka Jad ka kalo si bada surma si us ardaas ki ti jo surme nu kya padbi prapt kundi hai. Hanji. Ta bachan hoya jo taram te judte sarir te agde hain te ant kal vahegru ka naam se marte hain so param gati nu prapt hunde hain. The Ram Ram Ucharke, the Sri Tiagadehan, Sobi Sorgadina, Barangana Poke, Fair Munuk Avatar, Tarke, Raj An Hundehan. Raji An Hundehan, Raji. And this text, it should say the name of the text underneath. Hold on. I'm using two devices, seven chances, sorry. Oh, that's all good. That's all good. Sikandi Pagatamala, page 112. Yep. Now, what this means down here is that, you know, those warriors, Gursik warriors who die, they go to the heavens and they get, you know, Bibia, divine Bibia to do their stuff. And then they're reborn as kings. Where is this taken from? We know where this is taken from. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Well, wait. The words you use, 
divine bb <laughs> look i'm just being a bit conceitful to you know the i'm well, consenting okay. something to the other side as well <laughs> conceding no 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 sorry to to the listeners as well sorry yep i i am like that i have that kind of sense of humor i apologize sorry but yep. this is the way too much way too much now gurbani tells us gurbani tells us the khalsa lifestyle in gurbani tells us when we die we don't come back that if we have done what we had we have, we have needed to as the guru expects us to we are in karam khand inspiring and influencing through memory this is telling us that if we die as brave warriors and we say ram ram now not even brave warriors just go into battle and say ram you might be a coward for the majority of the battle but as you get killed just say ram and you go up there and you get you know divine bibia where is this taken from straight away from islam so it's a copy of islam and then if you come down to the bajitar singh one now this is in the surah prakash don't bother reading it might as well clear it up now what it says is that the guru gives him 6.25 grams of opium from his own dabbi and says here you go bajitar singh here have this go and fight the elephant there is bajitar singh sitting down there and he's like oh guruji can i have some opium from you because i'll take it as prashad and the guru says here you go bajitar singh takes it and then guess what the text says bajitar singh says that you have given me everything you give everything you make people fearless i'll go fight now if the guru's making you fearless why do you need drugs why do you need intoxicants well, isn't there a contradiction it it is a contradiction it's a strong question that with you're living with the guru why hasn't that made you fearless but this drug will so this this drug triumphs sikhi this drug triumphs the guru Yeah, and it says that the guru became very thrilled when he heard like you know when like they say it they have their hand up very thrilled asked me for opium today so can i go to uh, gurdwara today and ask for opium the reality is that this wasn't guru gobind singh but to derail the khalsa they have started making the khalsa's template like this now you see most of these kids in the uk and you know even when they come to india they're just looking for punk that the allah is prashad oh man uh, 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 i used to go to nanpur sahib every every ola mulla yep and uh, well, on other occasions as well but on ola mulla particularly and you there was no shortage of these things no shortage of these things now you i would understand it no, i would no, understand no, yep. kids with weird accents wearing so much metal on their body every kind of weapon and just you know drinking intoxicants and just you know laying in their cars half knocked out the fingers how to make the khalsa like look i can understand it that if you use it for medicinal purposes you know you have a problem you need to do a operation you need to do a surgery yeah sure just knock the guy out with alcohol or wash his wounds with alcohol but if you're just abusing this for no purpose in the name of religion and saying it's tradition it's going to get you nothing it's against gurbani gurbani is saying that you know we need to avoid alcohol and intoxicants anything which destroys our mind here we are saying that guru gobind singh himself was giving it out to his sikhs okay another question and i hope i don't get killed for it <laughs> who was guru gobind singh's supplier that's the thing who was guru gobind singh's supplier who was supplying drugs to guru sahib 
The thing is that if you look at the Khalsa as a military, you know that uh, there is a certain rule in the military that rank and file when fighting can't actually take substances. No, it's actually it's considered a violation of actually uh, human rights. Uh, you know, the Geneva Convention, if your rank and file is, uh, you know, stoned out of its mind and fighting because, you know, intoxicants, anything happens. And we know this as Sikhs. We know that whenever we have been attacked, whenever civilians have been massacred, it's actually done under the influence of drugs because otherwise even trained soldiers have that mental block in killing civilians. So as we saw in Serbia and Bosnia and other, otherwise, they are given intoxicants to make them, you know, I guess in their minds, numbed enough to kill civilians and, you know, any other soldiers who surrender. And and I, th- I think it's an established fact that uh, Nazi soldiers were high on, were high on meth. That, that's true, yeah? Yes. Now, if you look at the Hashashins, the assassins, but their real name was Hashashins, they used to get high on hashish. Even they had a rule back during the Crusaders era that when you went into the field of combat to do your mission, you never took hashish. You had to have a clear head. Okay. It does make sense that after the battle, you might need some painkillers and that could come in the form of, let's say, intoxicants. Let's say eat oh. the morphine or something, yeah? Yes. But that's an exception. That's not the norm. And commanders, commanders themselves, they do not, you know, consume intoxicants or substances with or in front of the rank and file. If they do, they do it privately and they don't do it as much. Down here, what we have is that Guru Gobind Singh's eyes never opened in the morning unless he had, you know, what they're saying in that book, in that grant, that unless he had that intoxicant, he wasn't able to wake up. And whosoever wrote this, people were okay with it? Nobody opposed him? It's it's being read in Gurdwaras today. (sighs) We can can provide the page references as well. We can do a whole reading, but it's going to serve no purpose for us. So that's the thing. The commander, Guru Gobind Singh, was never high out of his mind. The Guru was 101% in tandem with Gurbani. The intoxicant Baba Nanak the Khalsa is the intoxicant of wisdom, of Gyan. And if we, as a summary, if we are to tear away all this, tear away all this mishistory and reinterpret our history in light of Gurbani, maybe then we can restore the Khalsa to its original mission. I think the the text you, you have just mentioned, hmm. there is another mention in it. It's about the quality of the opium. <laughs> yep. So it says, Nijkar, the Kalgitar, Dini Jughatan Parlini, Simarna, Kurko Tab Khayo, Tab Khay, Badi Kimati Kichini, Badi Kimati. Money came to very precious. Yeah. And look what they've made the, you know, Carl sign to a body of stoners. How can you realistically fight, let's say, hand to hand combat? You're not shooting somebody at, let's say, 500 meters or something, or maybe at, mm. no, 100 meters or something. You, yep. are, you are fighting an enemy who's like five meters from you at the maximum. Hand to hand combat, code fighting. Hmm. 
So if you are stoned out of your mind or if you're intoxicated, how can you fight, fight that enemy? The thing is that you and me, we both you, have that. Yep. Yeah. Do you even know? Well, well since you, you practice your, your martial arts, do you know the heightened senses you need, the hyperactivity you need in that exact moment when even a nanosecond could decide your life? Hmm. You're going off adrenaline. Now, you and me both have that military experience. You know, you can read any book on drugs in the military and you will see that going back to the past, you know, centuries, even before Sikhs, this was always an issue that commanders never, you know, partook of substance abuse themselves or allowed their soldiers to before battle, unless it was, you know, really such a suicidal mission. Not even then. No, no, no. You, you, you have to remember that we, we have the example of ISIS fighters, yeah? Hmm. They were always high on drugs because they had to, let's say, commit atrocities and war crimes and everything. Yep. Because the only motive was just to go in to die because they wanted uh, uh, Swargadiya Bibia. Yep, divine Bibia. <laughs> yeah. 72 of them coming with, uh, I think, further, I, I don't know what the exact number of their servants, their maids. So you, hmm. you, you're actually getting an entire village full of heavenly Bibia if you die fighting in the war against the infidels. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, so, yeah, so intoxicants, there's widespread use of them illegally, hmm. especially by groups which are going to act totally inhumane. I'm not talking about traditional militaries fighting wars for political reasons. Yep. Now, here we have the Khalsa. Khalsa can't rape in war. Khalsa can't kill you know, people begging for mercy in war. You really think the Khalsa was able to do this if it was stoned like they're claiming? Well, the Khalsa couldn't find uh, the, which way the sun was shining from if they were intox intoxicated by that much. It's a high-quality opium. It would, it would have really made them fly. Now, of course, the idiots down here will be arguing that our oh, context, context, context. The context is right in front of you. They're saying that this happened daily. Okay, so if the text read that John ate a burger, there is no context to it. John ate context. a burger. Yep. So in, in this case, he's asking for OPM. There is no context. No context. I mean, here Bajitra Singh is saying that you can make me fearless, but still, I need the OPM. And then they're saying that the Guru is saying, oh, look, I'm so pleased today that you asked for the OPM. Here, have one from my personal collection. Yeah, no, no, okay, okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, 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 we need to add another thing. The opium yep. was stored in a small silver box that Guru Sahib carried with him. Amazing, amazing. No, no, okay, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Remember, when you say Chandiji Dabi, yep. if, if you speak Punjabi as your first language, you would understand this. Yes. It's always for drugs, Afim. Yep, it is. Snuff box of type. That's what, what, what you would call a tinny in South Auckland. <laughs> yep. And I guess the reality is to summarize to summarize a few points, what points would you offer up? Well, from the text we have read and we have given references to the exact page number and everything, hmm. there has been a massive, massive attempt not today. It didn't start it today. It didn't start it in the 1900s. It didn't start it in the 1800s, much, much before that, to change 
our narrative, to change our history, and to change our theology. That's point change, number one. Change the purpose of the Khalsa, essentially. The point number two from the topic, the Khalsa wasn't born out of the hands of the 10th Master Guru Gobind Singh. Hmm. He finalized it. Hmm. It started all the way from Guru Nanak. Yes, Nanak's Khalsa. That's what I believe personally. Yep. And that's what I want you to at least think about it. Hmm. Hmm. And it wasn't a spontaneous event. It wasn't a spontaneous event. There was a lot of groundwork laid into it as evidenced by the 1679 uh, manuscripts. Okay, I'll ask you a small question. I think that will complete our hour and a half. Yes. Let's say you are a commander. Yep. You have to lead 10,000 soldiers into a battle, and it's the Second World War. Yes. So by that, I mean you have railway tracks, you have roads, you have supplies by air and sea. Yep. Just 10,000 people, how much logistical logistics do you need and how strong of a supply line do you need? We need an ironclad supply line. We're talking about 10,000. We need to have them ready to fight at all you know, corners, at all events, at all times. So we're talking about a massive supply line down here. So that was just 10,000. If you have 80,000 people coming in and you need, you need to make sure that all 80,000 leave alive, that we are not ambushed by the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing I'd like to mention down here is the Gursob also mentions that the Guru sent Khalsa, you know, the Sikhs who went into the Khalsa initiated, he sent them out all over India and beyond to initiate others into the Khalsa. And the nearby Sangat of Delhi, some of them actually reacted that this must be a lie and the Guru had to clarify that matter. But nearby Delhi, people weren't even able to make it from nearby Delhi. Yep. And you, you, okay, you also have to remember the villages around Anandapur Sahib are still yes. Hindu today. Yes. Just think about it for a second. The villages around Anandapur Sahib are still Hindu today. Hmm. So was it just a spontaneous event? Or it, this no. event was 200 years in the making? 200 years in the making. I mean... You need to realize that this was just massive because you need to realize that by this point, the Mughals also had measured swords with the Guru. I mean, Rustam Khan had been killed by the Sikhs just before. So they knew something was up, that these guys are very dangerous. They're getting very dangerous. Well, of course, if the Sikhs are bringing in horses, they're bringing in weapons or something, something might be must be happening around Anandapur Sahib. And it's a hilly Some... area. It's, it's very easy to send in your spies and infiltrators. And I guess to conclude, we need to actually ask the listeners to really think about this. What type of a personality and spirit Guru Gobind Singh would have possessed and those who were the first into the Khalsa taking that step into the unknown? Just think about it. When Dearam, when the Guru called him out by, you know, name Dearam, Chalaja, come on, then you come up if no one else is ready. What would have been going on in his mind? That, you know, I'm just going into a tent. What's going to happen to me now? You you need to think about this, and you probably need to see it from Guru Gobind Singh's perspective as well. 
I know what the repercussions are. I know what the consequences are. I'm ready to accept them. And that would surely have been the mentality of those Sikhs who got initiated into the Khalsa, those men and women, during its initial, you know, heyday. Okay. If you apply for a job today, mm. they do, let's say, a background check. Yes. So there is a vetting process, even though you could be at your new job for, let's say, two months, four months, six months, maybe 10 years. We don't know. Yes. But if you're going to be a Punjabi, mm. if you're going to be a Khalsa, how much vetting would, would have required from the, from the uh, Guru Sahib's viewpoint? Going by what the <clears throat> Kapal Mochan 1679 manuscript implicates, implies, we are talking about 15 to 20 years. So it was not a spontaneous event. No, it wasn't a spontaneous event. And that said, uh, this shouldn't be taken to mean that, you know, only men can go into the Khalsa. Women can go in as well and become Panjapyare. But there is a stringent vetting process. The Panjapyare weren't people who just gathered together for the Amrit initiation ceremony. They were essentially the senatorial council of the local Sangat. Today, if you have Amrit Sanchara, for every day of the week, every day of the week, I bet you, you will have different Panjabiyaris in the Gurdwara. And they will give you different instructions. Different instructions. Whereas initially, it only used to be the same Panjabiyaris for life, unless unless they had a system of voting or unless one died or was found wanting. So massive changes need to be made in our structure today if we want to reflect what the original Khalsa was. Thank you for joining us. Vaheguru Ji. Oh.